Well, good morning, everyone. If I've not had the chance to meet you yet, my name is Jeremiah. I serve here as the youth director, so I work with a lot of the people on this side of the room as they navigate grades 6 through 12, and super excited to get to preach with you guys. Welcome to everybody who's here in person, and of course, everyone who is joining us online. Now, if you saw me last week out in the atrium or if I ran into you this week, you would have probably noticed I had a really cool fashion accessory. Um, They're limited edition. It was a nice walking boot that a doctor put me in last week. And um, I got asked several times, like, what did you do? And I know you guys thought, like, I was windmill dunking on kids at youth group or something fun like that. Um, I was not. The truth is I'm just almost 30. Like that's what the daughter's like. Yeah, you just kind of, you heard it. Sorry. And there's no fun story. There's nothing like I was just working out and I did something to hurt it. Now this summer I will turn 30. And while that's not old, it does make me like officially feel older, if that makes any sense at all. Um, And it got me thinking about like, what are some goals? Like it's time to take some stuff serious now. What do I wanna do with my life? All that type of stuff. And it made me think of movies. I love movies. And I thought of the movie, The Bucket List. Have any of you guys ever seen that? It has Morgan Freeman and Jack Nicholson in it. And in it, they make a list of things they wanna do before they kick the bucket. So I started to make a list. What are some of the things I wanna do throughout my 30s or 40s or 50s? And just what, what are the goals that I have? I thought of some stuff like I want to experience or see, excuse me, like uh, the Aurora Borealis. Like I would love to go and see that in person. That's something my wife and I have always talked about. Um, We have two kids. I'd love to see them play t-ball or cheer, whatever it is they want to do. Like I just want to watch them grow up and experience that with them. I know that professionally at some point I want to write a book. I don't know if anyone would ever read it or what it would be about, but I know I want to try um, to do it. And so as I kept going, I ended up with this really long list of things that are all just experiences and things that I want to do. Now, throughout this series, I'm most like Jesus when, we're looking at the last week of Jesus's life. And that week wasn't a surprise to Jesus. In Luke chapter nine, we're told that at the time when Jesus knew he was gonna go up to heaven, he resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And I think he had a plan for that time, a bucket list, if you will, the things that he knew he wanted to teach, the prayers he wanted to pray, the lessons that he wanted to show his disciples. And as we look at what he did, we find out his bucket list was much more selfless than mine. Last week, we looked at this moment where he had all 12 of his disciples together in the upper room in this moment of the Last Supper, this meal that they shared. And then at the end of that meal that Jesus wrapped himself in a towel, got on his knees, and he washed all of his disciples' feet. Now, we've talked a little bit about my bucket list, washing people's feet, not exactly on it, but it was for Jesus, Now, tonight we're going to, or today we're going to look at this other story of Jesus and one of his disciples and how despite betrayal and pain, Jesus models for us mercy. And again, showing people mercy, grace, or or forgiveness, not exactly on my bucket list, but it was for Jesus. Today we're going to be looking at the story of Jesus and Judas Iscariot. Now, as we get into this story, there are three words I'm gonna use a lot, and they get thrown around a lot at church, and I wanna make sure we're all on the same page, so I've written some definitions for them, and that's grace, mercy, and forgiveness. 
And now these definitions aren't from like a perfect theological dictionary or the Pope or anything like that. It was just a group of us who were like, how would we explain these terms? And so the first is mercy. That's what we're gonna be talking about the most today, but all three of these are interconnected. So when we say God's mercy, we mean the compassion and or restraint that God shows mankind. Essentially, you could say mercy is not getting what you deserve. Now, God's grace, that's his unmerited favor. Grace is getting something you don't deserve. And then that concludes with God's forgiveness, which is choosing to bear the cost of an offense and release the offender rather than retaliating. Now, those are definitions. Let's get real practical with what these look like. So let's just talk about the salvation process itself, basically what all of scripture is about, what the church is about, all those things. It starts with God's mercy. You see, we've all sinned, and scripture says the punishment for sin is death, but in his mercy, God has held that back. While in his grace, his unmerited favor, he's given us the gift of Jesus on a cross. That's grace, something we don't deserve. And then that culminates in forgiveness, God reconciling people to himself. Grace, mercy, forgiveness. Now, Jesus, while he was on earth, was all three of these things incarnate. They just flowed from him everywhere he went. We can think of stories like there's a lame man in scripture who Jesus heals. Whenever he sees him, he has mercy on his condition. Then he has grace to help meet that need, and then he ultimately forgives this man even for his sins and restores him physically. Grace, mercy, forgiveness. There's stories like the woman who was caught in adultery, right? She's drug out. She's about to be stoned, which according to the law was what they were supposed to do. But whenever Jesus comes onto the scene, he has mercy for her, right? He withholds that punishment. And then he even has grace with the people who are there, teaches them this lesson they didn't deserve to know. And then at the end of the story, he looks at the woman and says, hey, has anyone condemned you? She goes, no. He goes, then I don't either. And he forgives her. There's the thief on the cross, right? The list goes on. Jesus was exuding mercy, grace, and forgiveness everywhere he went. And if we're gonna claim to be his followers, then we're supposed to do the same. Jesus actually requires it from us. And that is really hard. Now, a little disclaimer here. I have no clue why Phil picked me to preach this weekend. Um, when I look at myself and kind of who I am naturally, I don't describe myself as naturally gracious or merciful. I think I'm kind of harsh. I'm very black and white. If you're doing what's right, good. If you're doing what's wrong, fix it. Like I'm not naturally gracious or merciful. I relate to Jesus much more um, whenever he's in the temple and they're not doing what they're supposed to. So he makes a whip. He starts flipping tables and cracking it and saying, get it together. Like that's my Jesus. That's, that's the image that I love. I have a harder time relating whenever he's showing this mercy and grace to people, right? But it's important to know that Jesus' story in the temple of his righteous anger, which like his anger, always righteous, mine, not so much. But that moment is one story out of 33 years of Jesus' life. Whenever we look at who he was in the gospels, who he is, we see grace, mercy, and forgiveness at every turn. And if we, if I want to live in love like Jesus, we have to show that same mercy, grace, and forgiveness to everyone just like Jesus did. 
Now that process of becoming like Jesus, the big fancy church word for that is sanctification and it is a process. And I am in that process just like all of us are. So I'm excited to jump into scripture and see how it can change us to be more like Jesus. Now, anytime we're getting ready to jump into scripture, it's important to know the context. So um, throughout this whole series, we're in this special week of Jesus's life that's often called Passion Week. Everybody say Passion Week. If you grew up Catholic, you've probably heard of this before, or you might not have. Passion Week is this special week in the church calendar, we still recognize it today, that starts with Palm Sunday, and it concludes with the resurrection of Jesus. And all sorts of really cool stories happen throughout that week, like the flipping the table story happens in that uh, moment. And so sometime during this week, one of Jesus' disciples, Judas Iscariot, decides he's done with Jesus. Now you might have the question, well, who is Judas? Well, he was one of Jesus's 12 disciples, his closest followers, meant they saw all of his ministry, his miracles, saw his teachings, all of those things. Judas has had a front row seat. Now, past being a disciple, Judas had a special role amongst the disciples. We would describe him as like the treasurer of the disciples. He was the guy who kept the money and paid all the bills, that type of thing. Now, another fun fact about Judas, as we read through the New Testament together as a church here in a couple months, if you're just studying it, you'll notice there's another disciple named Thaddeus. Everybody say Thaddeus. That is the most people probably who've ever said Thaddeus at once. Like he's not super well known and he actually gets a bad rap because we translate his name as Judas. So in like John 14, you'll see it'll say Judas, parentheses, not Iscariot. Or you'll see Judas, son of James. That is a totally different disciple, not Judas Iscariot or Judas the betrayer. So every gospel has this account of Judas betraying Jesus. And we're going to focus in on Matthew chapter 26 and 27. If you want to go ahead and flip there in your Bibles. Now, Matthew chapter 26, we see Judas agree to betray Jesus, and scholars don't really know the reason behind it. There's um, a couple different views. Some people say he did it just for the money. Some people say he did it to try to force Jesus to overthrow the Romans, and some people think Satan was just tempting people, and Judas is the one who gave in. So regardless of why it happened, we know that it did. Matthew chapter 26, verses 14 through 16 say this. Then one of the 12, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and he asked, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. So now our plot is set. Judas has made his agreement 30 pieces of silver was about the going rate for a slave back then. It was not much money. And he's now constantly looking for Jesus to get a loan. These crowds have been around Jesus this whole week and have been protecting him from these religious leaders. So now fast forward through the week and we get to the upper room, that moment we looked at last week. And it's really important to know Judas was a part of that. Judas got to come to the Last Supper. He got to sit and he got to eat with Jesus And then whenever Jesus got on his knees and he washed people's feet, he washed Judas's feet too. Now talk about seeing mercy and grace played out in real time. Jesus already knew that Judas had betrayed him, but Judas still got to eat. 
Jesus knew that because of Judas, he was gonna die a brutal death on a cross, but Judas got his feet washed too. Mercy and grace were not just things that Jesus did, they were who he was. So after this moment of washing his feet and eating this meal, and John records this in chapter 13, says, after he had said this, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, very truly I tell you that one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which one of them he meant. I think sometimes when we think about Jesus, we think, well, he was fully God, so he didn't have emotions. No, Jesus had tons of emotions. And after knowing that one of his closest followers was going to betray him, and after washing his feet and eating this meal with him, Jesus is not okay. It says he was troubled in his spirit. And he tells all the disciples, one of you is gonna betray me, and they just don't get it. And so Jesus is like, listen, we have this bread bowl, right? Whoever sticks their hand in this bowl with me is the betrayer, and Judas sticks his hand in, everybody's like, I don't get it. And so then Jesus is like, all right, Judas, just go do whatever you were going to go do. And so Judas gets up to leave. You think that would make it clear, but they still are like, maybe he's gotta go pay the bill, right? He's the guy with the money, and it still doesn't click. So Jesus wraps up this meal with them. He goes, hey, listen, let's go and let's pray. And we're gonna look more at that prayer moment. I believe it's next week. And so definitely come back and hear that. But it's important to know that when they go and pray, they go to a secluded garden. Judas has been waiting for this moment all week. And so after Jesus finishes praying, he comes down, he's talking to the disciples. In walks Judas. Matthew chapter 24, or chapter 26, verses 47 through 53 say this. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the 12, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had ranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man, arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, greetings, rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, do what you came for, friend. Then the men stepped forward, they seized Jesus and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. But the sword, put your sword back in place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father at once and he will put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? So now Judas has called Jesus rabbi. He's kissed him, all these signs of friendship, ultimately just to betray Jesus. Now there's a lot of really important things that happen here and don't happen here that all point to Jesus's mercy and grace. The first is like the punishment for all sin is death according to scripture. And Peter is the guy over here swinging this sword, right? Jesus very easily could have said, Peter, you still don't get it. Kill Judas. He's the bad guy. But he doesn't because that's not who Jesus is. And then uh, the servant gets his ear cut off and we're told in the gospels that Jesus actually heals that wound. Again, showing mercy and grace. And then Jesus ends this moment by saying, hey, listen, remember, I'm the son of God. If I wanted to, I would call down angels and end all of this right now. But he doesn't because that's not who he is. He's exuding this mercy and grace for Judas, even in this moment where he doesn't get it. And the last and most important thing is what is the last word that Peter, or sorry, that Jesus spoke to Judas. It was friend. 
but Judas still doesn't get Jesus's mercy and grace. So now you fast forward and there is this little bit of a trial. And when that trial concludes in Matthew chapter 27, verses three through five, here's how Judas responds. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priest and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I've betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us, they replied. That is your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. All that time with Jesus, all those miracles, all those teachings, all those moments where he saw people come to Jesus and repent and he had mercy and grace and forgave them and somehow Judas still didn't get it. Church, if you don't hear anything else that I say today, hear this, if you want mercy, grace, and forgiveness, they're only found in Jesus. Somehow, despite walking with Jesus and all these moments of mercy and grace throughout this story, Judas still didn't get it. And he broke the circle. Whenever he decided it was time for forgiveness, he ran back to the temple, not to Jesus. He ran back to the people who wanted him to do this, not to Jesus. He ran back to the people who didn't care about him, not to the person who called him friend. And I wish there was more to the story. I could tell you, I wish there was a happier ending, but Judas didn't get it, and that's the end of his story. Now, what does that mean for you? I doubt tomorrow morning any of you have it on your to-do list to go and betray Jesus or anything like that. How does this reality affect your tomorrow? Throughout this series, we're looking at these moments from Jesus and asking, how can I be more like you? How can I live and love like you? I'm most like Jesus when what? I think when we look at this story, we can say we're most like Jesus when we choose mercy, grace, and forgiveness. And I use that word choose because I can think of three different instances in your life where you're going to have to choose to be someone full of mercy, grace, and forgiveness. Now, the first one, uh, Jesus was never wrong, but we as flawed people often are. So my hope is that we will choose to receive mercy, grace, and forgiveness when we're wrong. Now, as I said earlier, when it comes to, to seeking this, when we're in the wrong, it has to start with Jesus. Choose to receive it from Jesus. Now, for a lot of us who would call ourselves Christians, we've already made that choice at least once, right? We heard a sermon, we read something in scripture, we had a moment where we said, Jesus, I realize I'm a sinner, I need a savior. We went, we got baptized, and then for a lot of us, we move on. And whenever we sin and whenever we mess up, we don't have those moments with Jesus where we come back and we say, Jesus, I'm sorry. And we keep repenting from that sin. But if we truly wanna be people who are like Jesus, we will have those moments where we realize, Jesus, I need your new mercy for me every day. Jesus, I need your grace. Jesus, I need your forgiveness. And if you're someone who's not made that choice yet, Jesus is waiting for you, just like he's waiting for his followers to come to him every day and start that process anew. But it doesn't just stop there. See, whenever we do sin against people, it matters. And yes, we have to go to Jesus first and get mercy, grace, and forgiveness from him, but I also hope we will ask people for theirs. So we need to receive it from people that we have hurt. 
And that is not an easy process. It starts with having to humble ourselves to be willing to go and ask for it. But when we're asking for it, we're not guaranteed that it will come. So there's a couple of things to remember when we ask people for mercy, grace, and forgiveness. And the first is that it will take time. Whenever we hurt people, guys, it leaves scars. It leaves pain. And mercy, grace, and forgiveness have a really complicated relationship. And we need to give people that time. And unfortunately, sometimes when the wounds run too deep, the second thing to remember is that forgiveness is not always forgetfulness. Forgiveness is choosing that they're not going to exact that same price, they're not gonna hold it against you, but sometimes it means you also still don't get to come back into their lives, that there's still consequences for our actions. And that can be really hard, but that's the way it works with people. Now that's what we do whenever we're in the wrong, but what about when we're in the right? Well, in those moments, I hope we choose to offer mercy, grace, and forgiveness. Now again, there is a complex relationship between mercy, grace, forgiveness, and pain and hurt. But if you would call yourself a Jesus follower, if you'd say, I'm a Christian, then we don't really have a choice when it comes to offering this to others. Jesus talked about this multiple times. Luke chapter 17, verses three through four say, so watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them, and if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. Jesus talks about this again in Matthew chapter six, verse 15. He says, but if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. There's another parable that Jesus talks about this specifically in regards to mercy. It's the story in Matthew 18 of the merciful king and the unmerciful servant. I'd encourage you to go and read it this week. The small little spoiler is at the end of the story, Jesus says, if you're not willing to have the same mercy that the king, that God is giving you, then if you won't give that to others, he will not give it to you. This is something Jesus takes incredibly seriously. He talks about it multiple times in the gospel. We have to be a people who show others mercy, grace, and forgiveness. Now, as I say this next part, I wanna give you guys just a little bit of history and context for it. So uh, as a child, I was abused in about every single possible way you could imagine. And then I bounced around a system for about seven years, the foster system that left me more hurt than healed, Uh, After I finally started to get over all that, I got involved in churches. I had a church deeply wound me, someone that uh, I really love spiritually abused me. I've, I've been hurt, so I don't say this next part lightly. Struggling to forgive someone is normal. Pain runs deep and hurt is real. It does not go away in an instant. But refusing to forgive people does not align with the characteristics of Jesus and misses the whole point of being his follower. Now that is a lot to take in. And you might say, no, Jeremiah, I don't know that I feel it yet. I'm still angry, I'm still hurt. I understand that and I would say, hey, you're totally normal. Tim Keller wrote this in his book on forgiveness. He said, forgiveness is granted often a good while before it is felt, not felt before it's granted. It's a promise not to exact the same price of sin from the person who hurt you. It's likely you've always thought, well, I have to feel it before I grant it. I have to start to feel less angry before I start to not hold them liable. 
If you want to feel it before you grant it, you'll never grant it and you'll be in an angrier prison. We have to offer that same mercy, grace, and forgiveness that's been given to us. Now, three things I want us to remember whenever we're in that space of needing to offer it to other people. The first is that it's for you. It's not just for them. Does it benefit people when we forgive them and show them that same grace and mercy? Absolutely, but it also greatly benefits us. You see, holding on to all that anger and that bitterness, it's like drinking poison, hoping the other person dies. Like, this is just not how it works. And Jesus says, I want to take that from you. And I don't know about you, but for me, I'm like, okay, Jesus, you want that burden? You can have it. The second thing to remember is that it's also for God and it's for the purpose of transformation. Jesus says, my burden is easy, my yoke is light. Let God transform your pain and your hurt. And in Matthew chapter five, verse seven, Jesus starts listing all these blessings. He says, blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the people who are going to forgive, who are going to show this. If you wanna experience God's blessing, if you wanna experience God's transformation, it starts with releasing that pain and bitterness. And the last reminder I would give us is when I tell you to forgive people, when, well, when Jesus says it, it's not forgetfulness. We're not asking you to say that there's not pain, that there's not hurt. We are saying that you're saying, I release this person from that. Now I have one last choice that I want us to make. And for me personally, it's the hardest one. Uh, unfortunately, I'm really good at apologizing to people. I'm often wrong. And I've had to forgive a lot of people, so that's getting easier with time. But for this last one, it's easily the hardest for me personally. And I wonder if some of you feel the same way and you can understand this statement. When I mess up, no one can beat me up like I beat me up. The last choice that I want us to make is to choose to accept and give mercy, grace, and forgiveness to ourselves. You see, Judas finally hit that point of remorse in the story. He understood what he did. He understood all of these moments with Jesus. He had witnessed them firsthand. But instead of turning to Jesus and accepting all the lessons, all the words Jesus had said to him, he chose to just deal with it himself. And the story does not end well for Judas. Now, there's another disciple named Peter, and on that same night that Judas betrayed Peter, uh, Judas betrayed Jesus, so did Peter. He denies Jesus three times, and then he runs away. And when he runs away, he had been called by God to go and to be a fisherman of men. Instead, he goes, no, I'm just going to go fishing. Like, he abandons his mission from Jesus. And there's this moment where Jesus is resurrected, and Peter's out in a boat. He's not seen Jesus yet. And somebody goes, hey, look, there's Jesus. And Peter, in that moment, could choose to reject everything he's heard Jesus ever say and jump out of the boat and swim the other way. But instead, he jumps out of the boat and swims directly towards Jesus because he got it. He was willing to accept all the things Jesus had said. And they have this moment on the shore and Peter's restored. And he goes on to become the first like post-Jesus preacher and church planner. And he crosses all these ethnic lines and he does all of these great things because he chose to accept what Jesus said for others was also true for him. 
Now, for me personally, I'm much more like Judas than I am like Peter when it comes to hearing that message for me. It's really easy for me to stand on a stage and say, hey, Jesus takes your sin as far as the east is from the west. He looked at you before he died and he knew all the sin you were gonna do and he still died for you, which is 100% true. But whenever I sin and I mess up and I have guilt and I have shame, I'm like, if I keep doing this, Jesus's mercy is going to run out on me, and I've put that pressure of perfection on my shoulders, and if you're one of those people who are nodding your head because you get it, Jesus' promise for others is also true for me and you. Jesus still looks at you and says you're worthy, right? Satan whispers, hey, it's gonna run out, hey, you're not gonna be good enough, but Jesus screams, you are my son, you are my daughter, you are redeemed, you are why I died, and I love you. And so if you're in that moment, you've got that pressure on your shoulder, I would tell you to just take it off and let Jesus have it. There's two things that kind of pull me out of that funk. And the first is daily being in God's word. And there's kind of two key reasons for that. The first is as you read God's word, you'll see that when he says, I have new mercy, he means it. Dude, if he put up with Israel for 2000 years, he can put up with me, right? They were messing up every chance they got. And the other thing is it just helps me start my day. It helps me realize that God is real and God cares. And the second thing that really helps me is being in community with people who I let see my scars and my funk, who pull me out of all that and help me stay focused on who Jesus is as we're all going through this sanctification process together. So no matter what your story was when you came in here, no matter what you're leaving to go to, my hope and my prayer is that you will choose mercy, grace, and forgiveness today. If you're someone who's never chosen to follow Jesus, the gospel is really simple. Jesus loves you more than life itself. He gave up his life for you. That's it. That's the SparkNotes version of it. And he's waiting for you to accept that invitation to mercy, grace, and forgiveness today. And if that's you and you wanna come down to the front right after service ends, Dwight, one of our elders or myself, we would love to pray with you. And we have like clothes and all that stuff in the back. You can get baptized right now. Like there's no excuse to wait. Today's the day of salvation. Now, if you're somebody who's already made that choice, then my hope and my prayer for you is that you'll still choose mercy, grace, and forgiveness. Maybe someone has wounded you deeply. And this week you need to have a conversation with Jesus where you release that and maybe even reach out to that person and let them know you've forgiven them. Or maybe you know you've caused hurt, you've caused pain, it's been weighing on you. This week, start with Jesus and then reach out to that person and ask them for mercy, grace, and forgiveness. And last but not least, if you're carrying the weight of perfection on your shoulders, know Jesus says, that is not my burden. My burden is easy and it is light and he is waiting to take that from you. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for being someone who has mercy and grace for us. Father, thank you that you looked at all of our mess, all of our mistakes, and you said you're worth it. Jesus, I pray for the person in here who just needs to surrender their life to you. They've never tasted and seen that you are good. Father, help them have the courage and the power to come forward and to choose to embrace you today. Father, for the people in here who are just carrying a weight because someone has wounded them or they have wounded someone else or they're forcing perfection on their shoulders, Father, help us surrender. Help us bow down before you and embrace your mercy, grace, and forgiveness. It's in your son's name we pray, amen.